And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to a live edition of the Metrospective. I'm Ted Berg. One of the Athletics Mets beat writers, Tim Britton, is here with me on the line. The Mets, after losing the first game of the series to the Pirates and uh, setting off a citywide panic as they lost their stranglehold on the top spot in the NL East, Mets come back on Wednesday and sweep a doubleheader behind great starts from Chris Bassett and Jacob DeGrom. And I think, Tim, we're feeling a little bit better now because right there at that first game of the Pirates series, it was like, oh, it's coming apart. When you lose three consecutive games uh, to the two worst teams in baseball, all of them by six runs, uh, that, that was not good. We all know the reason for that. Obviously, Jerry Seinfeld pointed it out, right? It was, it was the Timmy Trumpet mm-hmm. performance. That's why. Well, yeah, I wanted to bring that up because we've been, I think, I've been rather decidedly pro-Timmy Trumpet, and you in your own reserved way seem like you're in favor of of Timmy Trumpet. Oh, yes. I mean, I'm in favor of most Tims, especially ones who professionally go by Timmy. You know, that's that's... That's that's tough to do. Uh, I, it takes a lot of confidence. You got to be really good at the trumpet. I mean, I ditched that when I was in like sixth grade, but uh, you got to, you know, he went for it and it's working for him. Did you, you hung on to, because I dropped, I really, by like third grade, I was actively trying to shake Teddy. You know, I, I actually should go back. I don't know if, uh, if we have, uh, if my parents still have like my, grade school assignments when i dropped timmy for tim i'm not sure exactly it was after third grade but there's a couple of crossouts in there when you're making the transition <laughs> it, was, it was between third and like sixth or seventh grade uh but it's it's funny because uh, all of my my grade school friends uh still call me timmy <laughs> like my family still does uh and so uh, i used to joke that you know you cross the border into new jersey and that is when i go from tim to timmy again <laughs> Uh, it's like a it's like a Taylor Ham pork roll thing, but it's for your name. <laughs> right. uh, where where are you on Jerry Seinfeld? So what Jerry Seinfeld said, if you didn't, if you weren't paying attention, if you missed the major Jerry Seinfeld news, it was that um, I believe it was in SNY.TV's Instagram comments. Seinfeld uh, accused said basically this season is falling apart. Because the Mets had Timmy Trumpet there to play when he played, um, and it was celebrating too early, and he likened it. And see, this is where I think this is important. Uh, He likened it to the Baja men playing before Game 4 of the 2000 World Series. And to me, that is what implies that Jerry Seinfeld is not 100% serious here. 
<laughs> it's unserious. Um, yeah, he's a, perform- he's a performer, right? Like we got to keep that in mind. This is a this is a performance from Jerry Seinfeld. Everything he does publicly is performance. That's that's what it is to be a famous person. And I can't I can't believe that someone as smart and successful as Jerry Seinfeld genuinely thinks that the Mets lost the 2000 World Series because they had the Baja Men at Shea Stadium. They were more important than uh, Bobby Jones starting that game or the Mets not being able to to score more than two runs in game four. Um, Yeah, I I think it's the funny thing is, you know, whether it's performance on him or not, uh, but like a lot of a lot of fans would would say that. Right. That that they're superstitious. 68-year-old uh, men from Massapequa, right? Which is what Jerry Seinfeld is. Like, we got to keep in mind the, the demographic here. Uh, and I thought the most interesting thing was, like, Andy Martino retweeting it with, like, people in the Mets front office have thought the same thing. Like, come on. No, they have. <laughs> uh, no, they have. If they've thought that, it was unserious. Like, that was – people in the Mets front office may have joked the same thing. Um, but And, and I'm, I'm not downing Andy's reporting. Whoever thinks that in the Mets front office shouldn't have a job today because you can't run a baseball <laughs> team thinking that way. Uh, you know, the reason the Mets had not thrown a, a no-hitter uh, from 1962 to 2012 was because people just kept jinxing it, you know? They, they right. kept saying that it's it was the, happening. Yeah, it's the same thing. And, and like, to me, like, that's why, I, I don't know, I can't get too upset about it because it's kind of fun. Like, it's all part of the fun of baseball to, like, believe in the mojo and all those that stuff. But, like, I mean, there's there's no correlation between narco, which has become a thing around Edwin Diaz now. And, and like, it's a successful song. But... Who Let the Dogs Out was a ubiquitous song in 2000. In fact, I remember being at the the NLCS against the – it was the NLCS. I think they played the Giants that year. Oh, no, the, the NLCS. Yeah. Cardinals. Uh, so it was the Giants in the in the D- Division Series. So in the, the Division, division Series, series yeah. Giants, I had amazing seats. My uncle used to have incredible seats at Chase Stadium. We were sitting near the comp seats, the comp seats for the San Francisco Giants, and when they played Who Let the Dogs Out – all of the Giants' wives got really excited because that was also the Giants' pump-up song that year. Yeah, I mean, that's, like, this goes back to a point that I, I've made probably on this before, uh, being upset about it, uh, is, like, so much of sports analysis gets away from, like, that playing sports is difficult and it's difficult to talk about the actual physical failures at any given point. Like it's tough to break down why uh, someone's swing mechanics are wrong. So it's much easier to say they shouldn't have swung at that pitch. They shouldn't have swung at that first pitch. That was a bad idea. Um, And uh, you know, it's, it's easier to say that the reason the Mets are losing is because uh, they, (laughs) that uh, Timmy Trumpet played narco and they became overconfident and complacent. Uh, instead of saying something along the lines of that, you know, Francisco Lindor or Endor Pete Alonso, that their uh, swing decisions haven't been the same as they were earlier in the season. They, they're just in a minor slump. Uh, and that's that's too banal to really make. You know, if I if I tweet that out, uh, Jerry Seinfeld isn't commenting on it. Right. And I would say that as someone I think I may have founded the SNY.TV Instagram account. If I were still there and still operating SNY's uh, social media account, sometimes that would have been a very exciting day when Jerry Seinfeld interacts with you. Um, do we sense just a hint, just a hint of, of envy here? Because Jerry Seinfeld is as famous as it gets for Mets fans. Uh, and he had his day on top of the world. And it feels like it's Timmy Trumpet's show right now. 
that bad. Uh, what, does, does Jerry want to come back and perform? Uh, at yeah, no, it's bad mojo. You can't have Jerry Seinfeld do a do an do like do a tight five before a Mets game. Um, you can't have him in the SNY booth, you know. Yeah, I mean it's fun when he goes in the SNY booth, and that's why, like, I, you know, like I, I don't know. To me, as a as a Mets fan, like it's it's. Even when I disagree with what Jerry Seinfeld says, it's like kind of fun to have Jerry Seinfeld weighing in the Mets and so weighing in on the Mets. And so like I would caution against piling on Jerry Seinfeld on the Internet now, because like ultimately you want to hear from Jerry Seinfeld. It adds to the fun to have his contributions into the, the dialogue. You want to get some questions? Yes. Uh, Yanni, our friend Yanni M is waiting on the line. Yanni, what's going on? Hey, Ted. Hey, Tim. It's going well. Thanks for having me again. Um, I wanted to ask about Peterson and Walker. Um, I have lost a lot of faith in Taiwan Walker. And, you know, I, so many of my friends and so many writers and, and talk show hosts are talking about how, you know, Peterson profiles so well as a reliever. You know, sliders it would work well out of the pen. But given that he's so young and has really only ever started in his career and the old adage of, uh, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, he seems to just be going really well. And his, he's only increased my boosted, my confidence in him. And, and I actually enjoy going to Mets games now when Peterson is pitching and I feel confident that the Mets are going to win or can win every single time. Um, don't feel that way with Walker. I know if in an ideal world, you're, postseason rotation doesn't have to have either of them in the equation um but just given uh the fragility of the mets top four given the way carrasco returned how scherzer's out um you have i have to wonder if the mets are at all considering uh you know having carrasco uh, excuse me having peterson next in line to be their fourth uh postseason starter if any of the guys ahead of him get injured uh, or if, you know, someone's coming back from an injury or if Carrasco is still having, you know, issues going deep into the game, maybe doing like a, a piggyback sort of game, piggyback Carrasco and Peterson. Um, and if the Mets are not thinking of that, and I haven't read a single article or heard anybody say anything to that sort, why not? Thanks, guys. Yeah, it's it's certainly become a more interesting uh dilemma for the Mets because you've got a Peterson pitching better B Walker not pitching as well. I think Walker struggles uh, in general. It really does. If you take out that this one awful start against Atlanta, which is eight runs in one inning. It's, I mean, I understand it's difficult to take out, but that is, you know, his, his ERA in the second half, I think it's six, two, five. You take that out. It's four, three, seven, which is not as good as it was in the first half. Uh, certainly, but is not uh, the disaster that it seems that it's when it's over six. Uh, and that's really the only and like there's there's it's unspectacular starts that you've gotten out outside of that one in that one against the Braves, uh, unspectacular starts, but certainly not clunkers like no, no, hor- no other horrible start in there. Right. It's just a bunch of kind of five innings, three runs. Peterson has, has pitched right. better than that of late. Uh, and I think the other, you know, I think I started with A and B. So C is that with Max Scherzer down now for, uh, you know, the, the start he would have made tonight on Friday. Uh, in Miami and his next start as well before he can come off the injured list. You, you're going to get two more David Peterson starts. That takes us into mid-September. It doesn't leave a whole lot of time for him to audition for the bullpen. And he, you know, he's the guy when you, you talk about some of the other 
pieces they've got coming back for the bullpen and Drew Smith and Tyler McGill. Peterson's the guy who has the least experience of the bullpen. You don't have to worry about like finding out what Drew Smith can do for you. He's a bullpen. He's a reliever. You're used to that. Uh, and even McGill, while he hasn't done it at the major league level, did it in college a ton. You know, he was primarily a reliever in college. Uh, you don't have that history with Peterson. We saw that earlier in the year uh, against the Yankees when he came into a left-right left situation, gave up the two-run homer. Mm-hmm. So you would you wouldn't feel confident, I think, putting him on a playoff roster with him as your left-handed reliever if you only saw him you know, two or three times in the regular season. I think you'd want to see it more than that. Uh, and they're kind of running out of time uh, to, to give him that audition. Uh, so it could be, you know, if he goes out, I think there is an opportunity in front of him now. Uh, tonight in Miami, his next start, I believe, would be uh, against the Cubs on Wednesday. Uh, if he comes out and, and he pitches really well in those two starts against offenses that aren't, uh, that quite frankly, aren't world-beating, uh, then then maybe he puts a little bit more pressure on on Walker and Carrasco for that final rotation spot in the postseason we have a a question in the chat which relates to this one from daniel b he wants to know can we discuss the biggest x factor that no one is talking about uh he doesn't ask us what that is he tells us it's tyler mcgill is mcgill i mean because we talked about this very early in the season right like mcgill has always felt like the natural choice to even more so than Peterson. I think now, um, as you said, you know, and, and as, as Yanni mentioned, we talk about Peterson's slider and his strikeout rate. And I think there's a lot that makes you think he could eventually be a, uh, if, you know, with the opportunity, which as you mentioned, he may not get, he could be a very solid late inning reliever. McGill from the start has seemed like a better, a more obvious fit for that role. And now he is on the way back how quickly do you imagine they, they will start giving him the high leverage? In? Yeah, so, so McGill's had his three rehab appearances. He's retired all nine hitters he's faced, seven of them via strikeout. Uh, the next step, the Mets have not said whether it's, you know, it's, it's one of two directions. It's either they're going to give him two outings on back-to-back days, um, and then he'd be ready to come up to the major leagues, or they'd give him an outing of multiple innings, kind of uh, six out out it mm-hmm. um and that kind of well, you know they have to decide what they want him to be when he comes to the to the majors they want him to be you know more like adam Adovino, a guy who's going to pitch who's going to be available most days and throw and get you three outs or do they want to be more like seth lugo a guy who's going to need some time off but when he throws can get you six outs or even more um you know there's there might be some value in well you've got lugo to do that some days wouldn't it be nice if you got mcgill the other days um to to do that role uh, so that I think that's uh, appealing to the Mets, but we haven't seen them make a decision on which direction to go with him. Uh, you know, the, we, we saw him throw 99 at the start of the season when he had some adrenaline pumping. So uh, you would think the stuff would play up with his his fastball, his slider, his changeup, uh, even more so maybe than Peterson's. Uh, so I, I think, that, you know, when we talk about X factors for the postseason, it's not just McGill as a reliever. It's like any reliever. We talked about it on, on Tuesday, like Tyler Matzik being the best reliever in the, in the postseason last year was not something you could have predicted. Uh, you go back like every year, there's a, a different reliever uh, who fills in and, you know, Daniel Hudson doing it for the, the 2019 nationals, Joe Kelly doing it for the 20 Joe Kelly and Ryan Brazier doing it for the 2018 Red Sox. Like uh, you just kind of ride whoever's hot at the time. And, you know, there's, there's like a, a possibility that we get into the postseason, and it's like Adam Adovino doesn't pitch anymore because he's not pitching well. Um, and it's just it's Seth Lugo and Tyler McGill getting every big out for the Mets. It's Drew Smith and Tyler McGill getting every big out. It's just the hierarchy in the postseason in the bullpen shifts dramatically and swiftly. 
uh, you know, the reason Aaron Heilman gave up the home run to Yadier Molina was because Billy Wagner wasn't pitching well. Uh, that Those are the kinds of things that happen in the postseason uh, with, with bullpens. Uh, and so I think, you know, McGill is an X factor clearly, but I think anyone in that bullpen who starts pitching well is an X factor for them. Yeah, I remember even like if you think about that 2018 Red Sox team, I think a lot of the talk heading into that postseason was like, well, there's only so far they're going to go. Ryan Brazier is their best reliever. And then they they made it work, you know, using starters out of the bullpen, (laughs) getting great performances out of guys like Brazier. Uh, Like it's something we've been worried about all season long. Every time we do a live show, someone asks about uh, what what are they going to do about the bullpen in the postseason? Uh, It's a good problem, again, because you're looking at the postseason. But uh, and I think what we keep saying is like we just don't know. You kind of just have to hope that that a few guys uh, are pitching very well at that time, and they can ride those arms. Uh, and that Buck Walter uh, presses the right buttons and doesn't have Ubaldo Jimenez at his disposal this time. Yeah, and and one of the other this is a negative, you know, the negative to, to Scherzer not being. Uh, in the rotation currently and, and missing some time here is I, I wonder whether it can be built up to uh, do what he did in, in 2019 for Washington, which is come out of the bullpen on a throw day here and there. You know, I don't know that the Mets will do that with Jacob deGrom in the postseason. You can, I think we've talked about it over the course of the summer that like Chris Bassett seems like a guy who can throw a seventh inning for you if you need it somewhere along the line. Um, but, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, I don't know that they're going to lean on their starters the way we've seen Washington do that. The way we've seen the you know the Dodgers have done it with Julio Arias a lot a lot in the past couple postseasons. Uh, th- those Red Sox did it with with Chris Sale getting the last out of the World Series. David Price I think pitched out of the pen for them as well. Uh, I don't know that the, the Mets have that luxury to the same extent as some other teams. Dan P wants to know, just switching gears here a little bit. What are your guys' thoughts on the coming rule changes? The MLB is going to vote. It sounds like they're going to happen though uh, on uh, a pitch clock. Larger bases, which is an interesting one, and a ban of the infield shift. Where are you at on those? Uh, so uh, the pitch clock gets the thumbs up for me. Um, yeah, you know, you I, won't I, find a lot of you won't find a lot of beat reporters like, no, I don't want a pitch clock. Um, I have not, uh, I've not watched uh, minor league baseball enough this year uh, to know the kind of the extent of the to, to know the feel of, of what it means having a pitch clock. I just know that the times of game uh, are down dramatically with it. Uh, and it's great. I can tell you it's great. It's a it's a you don't notice it. And you just you just look up and it's like, wow, it's the fifth inning. You know, it is. It, it just it is. You don't notice it at all. It's just the game moves faster. That's it. Yeah. And uh, so I think that's good. The the shift rules, you know, I I don't. Yeah, I need to see any evidence that it's actually going to do something um, like I think. And, and, you know, you put in both of these rules at the same time. Like, I think the pitch clock is going to have a greater impact on how many balls are put in play than the change in the shift. Uh, because I think you're just going to, you know, you don't have guys waiting 40 seconds to throw a pitch so they can throw it as hard as they can and then waiting 40 more seconds. Think about it. And they have to think about it. They have to visualize and execute, right? And so you have all of that time to like, there's no, it's it's like we've talked about. It. It's a hundred sprints rather than a marathon. Right. Uh, and so, you know, I, I'm not against the idea of implementing a shift rule. I just don't think it's going to have the desired effect. You know, 
like I, I understood there's people who are like, you got to let the defense, you know, have all access to all of its strategies necessary. Uh, you know, you watch the NBA, like they had to change rules about fouling because uh, it was just miserable to watch like a team foul DeAndre Jordan every time down the court uh, for four or five minutes. Um, and so they changed that rule. Um, you know, it's not fun to watch certain aspects of the baseball product. Uh, I don't know that the shift is the cause of that, but that's what they're getting at. I'm not against rules of that type. Uh, but I don't know that this is going to have the desired effect. Bigger bases, I have no idea how to, how to. I, I don't really know. I guess it, it has led to a slight uptick in steals in the minor leagues. I like stolen bases. We should have more steals. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see if that actually does anything. It's fun that making the base bigger by, like, mere inches would have. Because baseball is, like, so, It's it feels like it's, like, so tightly choreographed sort of right like if if you if the shortstop fields the ball cleanly you are out at first base if he doesn't you are safe like that is almost always the case um and so it's funny and and interesting i think that like just a a few because i because it's my understanding is the point of the bigger bases is not to increase steals it's just for uh mostly a safety thing um so it's cool to me that that is a, a side effect uh i have no issue with with bigger bases something a rule change i would like to see um, I think it's stupid. Uh, like, I hate it every time a runner is safe and then winds up being called out because at some point he briefly lost contact with the base while the glove was on him. I feel like the rule should be, like, once you're safe, it's like a cylinder over the base. And as long as some part of your body is over the base, you're still on the base. Yeah, it's, you know, it's the unintended byproduct of uh, instant replay. It's same like... Uh, you watch, but it's been like it's been like ten years now, right? Like now we're now we're going on a long time with these stupid plays. Uh, you watch a, a football game, like it always bothers me when a guy basically is in the end zone, but they they rule that he was like an inch shy of crossing the plane, and his his knee went down on like a forty yard run. I understand if it's a goal line play, uh, but like uh, I feel like you know for so long that was a touchdown. <laughs> that is how we understood physics. Um, and with, with baseball, like I mean, and that's another thing that deters you from trying to steal bases, right? Is that you can steal the base and still end up out because of your your slide being overzealous uh, and you come off the bag. So, you know. but, but if you overslide the bag, that's one thing to me. Like that's fine. If you're you're out, if you overslide the bag, like you shouldn't be able to run through second base like you run through first base. But if you're on second base and you're like uh, you pull your hand off while your body is you know like the, you, we've all seen it right. Like you you very briefly lose contact with the base, but the guys the, all the infielders know to hold their gloves right now. So then you're out, and and that to me it's like that's not baseball. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10 
$10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Yeah, I mean, that that's... It, it's something that we should... Uh, <laughs> there should be a way to write a rule like the one you suggested that, that gets that out. That, that you're fine. Right. You're safe. Uh, it's just no one. No one likes that. There's no one in the game. I can't. I can't. I can't tell you. There's a single person who's like, oh, it's so cool when a guy slips a little bit while standing up after successfully stealing second base and then is called out. No one wants that. Newsday's Tim Healy has often said that he's in favor of, of those guys getting called out. He's being. He's trolling us. He's not. He doesn't really believe that. Jesse M is on the line and has a question. What's up, Jesse? Hey guys, thanks for uh, taking my call. I got a, a six-part question on Timmy Trumpet and the Bahamas. Hoping you take perfect. Yeah. Um, so really, I want to know who at the you know we have McGill coming back potentially Smith. Who in the bullpen is really at risk of not making the playoff roster? I know May's been pretty not great, and and he's ill now. Joely hasn't consistently gotten anybody out all year who do you think is really at risk of just not being on the playoff roster at this point well I, let me pull out my my pen and paper and and see here you know i, I think diaz lugo Adovino, those are your three locks obviously um gibbons has pitched well enough lately that I, you know i think there was a time after they acquired him and he'd given up uh a, a couple big um, had a couple games where he gave up a, a few runs. Um, I think he's probably pretty safe, especially because of Showalter's comfort level with him. Uh, that, that you've got those four. Uh, and then I, I don't know that anyone else is set. I think it's kind of, you know, they're going to take a left-hander. Uh, if Peterson is not that guy, if Peterson is in the starting rotation, then I think they take Joely Rodriguez. Even if, if even if the plan isn't to pitch Joely Rodriguez that much, but simply having him and you know being able to warm up in the bullpen to dissuade a team from pinch hitting a left-handed batter, uh, that's valuable. And I think they could do that. Um, you know, I think Smith and McGill are are guys you would think about. Um, you know, I think if they come back and and pitch well, then yeah, they're part of your your postseason bullpen. Uh, Trevor Williams is uh, potentially on the outside looking in. I think. You know, I know they wanted to get him maybe some looks in some some bigger leverage spots. Uh, down the... Yeah, because he's been good in, in, in so many different roles that it's maybe they give year. him. Yeah. I think he did get a, a hold earlier this year uh, in the eighth inning of a game. But, you know, give him that opportunity to see what he can do, and then you have him as a long man just in case. Uh, and then it's kind of, you know, what do you do with the, the people in the rotation who are not part of your bullpen? 
Uh, you know, what do you if you decide that that Taiwan Walker is your fourth starter? What do you do with Carlos Carrasco? Vice versa. Uh, you know, I think in a division series, you might not carry that guy. In a league championship series, where you're gonna, there is the potential of playing five consecutive days, games three through seven. There is no off day, uh, so you might need five starters unless you feel comfortable with your game three starter going on three days rest. You might take all five of your starters and have one of them available out of the pen earlier in the series. Uh, that might be. Uh, the direction they go in. And, and then they also have to decide how many pitchers to take, uh, whether they take, uh, you know, 12, 13, could make an argument for 11. Um, I don't think any team does that anymore. Uh, but, you know, you can you can build basically an eight or nine man pen, depending on, on how you want to go about it and how you want to use your bench. Um, I, I, you brought up Givens and pitching better. Even if you include, um, he had, so he said, Really, three bad outings. Um, but even if you just go back and exclude that first one, the first uh, his first outing with the Mets, it's a three seven seven ERA. Um, and given his track record, I think like yeah, like you said, he's he's in there. Um, we have a question from Michael W in the in the chat that relates, which is any confirmation on cause of Trevor May's absence? Is it COVID related? Um, he was starting to pitch well after a few early struggles off the IL. To me, and maybe I'm in a minority here, I feel like um, for as good as May has been in the past, he has been so shaky and had so much difficulty um, putting together multiple consecutive strong outings that there would be no way I could trust him in a postseason series. Yeah, so so to answer Michael's question, it is COVID-related. Um, you know, if it were a recurrence of his shoulder injury, they would have said as much. Uh, they also made a 40-man move. Uh, you can only make a 40-man move unless, if, if the guy's on the COVID IL, uh, which so, so that suggests May is on the COVID IL. Um, we don't know. You know, there's different reasons guys end up on that, whether it's a close contact, it's a positive test, it's actually feeling symptoms. We have not heard anything on that. Um, so, uh, that's a little up in the air and, you know, we've seen guys coming back from, you know, if they have, you actually experience symptoms, it's a little harder and a longer road to come back from it, uh, than, than it might be otherwise, uh, you know, like Bassett, when he didn't have any symptoms and just tested positive, kind of hit the ground running when he came back, uh, you know, so may, you know, again, another guy who's not gonna have a ton of time. Uh, down the stretch of September to to show himself at at his best form. I, I talked to him in August, and he talked about everything that he's working on is to try to be in his his pinnacle Trevor May form for October. Uh, and you know we haven't seen that, um, or at least much of it. We've seen it kind of in glimpses uh, here and there so far uh, this season. But you know I, I think so. I, I finally finished jotting this out on paper. If if everyone is healthy and pitching well, uh, you'd probably have your bullpen, your eight man bullpen as Diaz, Adovino, Lugo. Gibbons, May, Smith, McGill, and a lefty. That's probably your eight-man postseason bullpen. That leaves Trevor Williams on the outside, Tommy Hunter on the outside, you know, whoever's not in your starting rotation on the outside. The lefty could be Rodriguez. It could be Peterson. Um, heck, it could be Joey Lucchese if something really happens. Um, that was that was the question I was going to ask. What's the, what's going on with Joey Lucchese? So Lucchese is still, the, you know, Buck Showalter said last weekend that he's still a ways away and, and was not particularly close to being in the major leagues. Um, and so uh, another guy like Peterson, while he's pitched out of the bullpen in the major leagues, it's it's been kind of in a long man role. It's not been a, a kind of a the come in and get three lefties out role. Uh, so I don't know that he's uh, got much of a, a, is going to get much of a chance to audition for that lefty specialist role in the in the postseason, uh, so I'd be I think he's the long of the 
dozen names I gave you, he's the longest shot to be on the postseason roster because uh, he's still got a little bit before he's even in the major leagues, and then he's got to show something when he's there. Right. I feel like it's probably too like unless he is just lights out dominant in like four outings in late September. There's just it just seems like you just don't know. I mean, the the rehab process, as we've seen, like time and again, uh, is sort of a fickle thing and not always predictable. I think we like to put Tommy John surgery in like a neat package. But like you remember Stephen Matz, like sometimes people just take way longer to come back if he's not ready yet. Uh, I don't know. It doesn't seem like it would necessarily be good for the Mets or his career to be like, well, now we need you to be ready to go every day in the highest leverage games you'll ever pitch in your life. Yeah, that's a that's a tough ask. Uh, so uh, I would I would put him on the outside looking in. Uh, Michael W points out that May has had a thirty five percent strikeout rate since his return. He was starting to stabilize. I I don't know. I mean, I, I know you're you're generally pretty bullish on May. Um, like he he's been a really good pitcher in the past. Uh, he's thrown in 18 games this year. Like, I don't, I don't think we can, uh, and maybe I'm uh, guilty of like small sample fallacy for, for blaming him for those. Like the, the rate stats aren't nearly as bad as the, as the ERA, but at the same time, I can't be like, Oh, okay. Well in his last four outings, his strikeout rate was good because uh, it's, it feels like cherry picking stats to say this guy's ready to be a, uh, an important part of the bullpen in the postseason. And like, I, I don't know, maybe I'm alone here, but like, there's not a lot of uh, – I don't feel very confident. when And Showalter's given him opportunities in big spots uh, whenever he's been healthy. But I, I don't feel terribly good about Trevor May entering an eighth inning at this point. Yeah, what, what I would say is because Showalter has given him the, those opportunities when he's been on the roster and because the strikeout rate is what it is, that it, you know, that's something you like to see out of a, a late-game reliever. I think the Mets will – they will give Trevor May every chance to be on the postseason roster. It's not like, you know, one of these other guys who really has to, to pitch lights out to get there. I think, you know, May has to lose a roster spot as much as a guy like Casey has to win one moving forward. Right. And and the same with Givens, where it's like there is there's a track record here. This guy knows how to be a big league pitcher. He has been a successful reliever for most of his career. He's having a rough year. Like you said, I mean, like we say all the time. Bullpen arms are fickle. If you catch lightning in a bottle with Trevor May, like by by all means, put him on the postseason roster. I'm just saying, right now, based on what I've seen this year, it doesn't feel it doesn't feel great. It doesn't feel great to have May coming into a game. Uh, Alexander S wants to know who, what do you think should be the biggest catalyst to wake up the struggling offense? Um, I would say the Pirates pitching staff. <laughs> I mean, that's the Pirates pitching staff. Uh, that that helped on Wednesday. Uh, the Marlins pitching staff is is not as compliant in that regard, though they don't. Uh, I don't think they see Alcantara. He just pitched uh, last night. Um, and then uh, you know the, the Cubs pitching staff has been better. It, it's it's maybe not at the name brands that we're used to, but but has been decent. Uh, and Pittsburgh again next week. You know that's going to help. I, th- I think the biggest thing is is going to be getting Lindor and Alonso back going because uh, this team's been able to. Uh, handle slumps from other parts of its of its lineup because it's it's a deeper lineup than we're used to seeing the Mets have, uh, you know. And we've seen you know one of the good things of the last week during an otherwise tough stretch for the team is that their eight and nine hitters, and, and in particular Eduardo Escobar and James McCann, have started to hit the ball. Uh, Escobar really uh, has, has come on uh, in a way that you know maybe yeah. he's, he's laying claim to being the everyday third baseman again. Um, 
you know, we'll see when Giorme comes back, obviously. Uh, and McCann has, has been, been providing some offensive value in a way that they haven't seen out of the catcher position all year. Uh, so that's good. But, you know, Lindor and Alonzo in the middle, like, those have been the anchors of the lineup, you know, basically each and every day of the season that they've been hitting three, four, just about every day. Uh, and having, you know, at least one of them going at any given time has helped the Mets overcome uh, some slumps elsewhere in the lineup. And, and to have both of them struggling at the same time uh, has been what's really dragged the offense down uh, at the current moment. Yeah, I mean, you know, those are their those are their best players, right? Lindor is their best all around player. Alonzo is their best power hitter. That's how they're built. They need those guys to succeed. But, um, you know, like you said, like the part of part of the idea of having the step that we've talked about dating back to February is that there are guys to pick up the slack. And a guy like Eduardo Escobar, who's been who's been bad all year, you can say, OK, he's having a bad year. Or you can say, hey, maybe he's due. And and now Eduardo Escobar is going to aggressively return to his career mean, which is significantly better than he has been to date. Um, and, uh, you know, I, who knows? But it, you certainly, it, it feels like a much less of a concern just after these last few games uh, that, that Beatty is out and that there there was for a few days, it felt like there was no obvious third base fit. Uh, Eduardo Escobar, I think, has reminded people he is a major leaguer. Uh, and and as you, you hear Buck Walter talk about it all the time, like everybody wants this guy to succeed because everybody seems to like him so much. Yeah, that, that he's the kind of guy in the, the clubhouse who everyone kind of rallies around. And, he, you know, he's said it all year. Like he, he's made it 10 years in the major leagues for a reason. Uh, and, and just generally do not all of a sudden lose all of that ability. Uh, so he's been confident he's, he was going to turn it around over the course of the season. And maybe, uh, you know, after that, that IL stint for the oblique has been able to work on, on what he's needed to work on, especially from the left side of the plate uh, and found something here. Yeah, uh, we'll take a couple more. We got no one in the queue, but we got a couple more in the chat. Uh, Linwood, who who tried to sign on earlier, said he he apologizes. He was changing his three week old baby girl. Congratulations to you, Linwood. Um, he wanted to know how on earth did the Dodgers lose five out of six to the Pirates? Baseball? Yeah, I mean that's like the, the Nationals series win in Queens over the, over last weekend was their second in the division. The other one was against Atlanta. Uh, that was in April, uh, but in Atlanta, like they haven't won a, whole, uh, a division uh, a series within the division at home all season, but they've won uh, at Atlanta and at New York. Uh, the the Pirates swept the Dodgers in L.A. I think was the sweep, and I think they won two or three at home. Uh, that was right before the Mets played out there in June. Uh, so. You know, the weird things happen over the course of uh, the baseball regular season. Um, you know, I, people were saying you know, that the Mets having won four of seven from the Dodgers. What does that mean for a postseason series? And that means that means nothing. Um, the Mets had won seven out of seven against the Dodgers in the regular season. What does it mean for a postseason series? Not much. Uh, we know, especially between those two teams, the, I think the 88 Mets were 10 and one against the Dodgers in the regular season. 11 and one didn't mean anything. I feel like this happens every. I feel like every year there's a postseason matchup that was completely lopsided in the regular season, and and half of the time the the team on the short end in the regular season winds up winning the series. Yeah, I mean, look, what the 2017 maybe it was like the Diamondbacks were the team that had the Dodgers number in the NL West, uh, and then the Dodgers swept them pretty easily in the division series. So it, weird things happen in a baseball regular season. It's you, that's why you try so often to take the the thirty thousand foot view uh, and not get too <laughs> too worked up over three losses in a row, uh, even if they are to Washington and Pittsburgh. Uh, but 
uh, the Mets on Wednesday getting back on track. And then, you know, you hope uh, they're, they're playing a, a Marlins team that finally got off the schneid and got a win on Thursday night. But uh, a, a team that has not played well for a long stretch of time now, uh, you don't have to face their best pitcher uh, and see what you can do in, in those three games over the weekend. And you don't have Lasting's Millage there to wake them up late in the season and, and turn their fortune around. Last question from Christopher S. He wants to know, are Vogelback and Ruff good enough to handle superior pitching the Mets will see in October? It highlights how much Dom Smith and J.D. Davis fell off this year for unknown reasons. I mean, we'll find out. <laughs> like, right. uh, I, don't, I don't think we've seen Vogelback in the playoffs yet. Uh, you know, Ruff was with San Francisco last year. I don't know what his division series stats were. I generally don't look up small sample postseason statistics. Um, you know, I think uh, it would be interesting to see if there's, you know, there, I think there's very few guys who have like this pronounced difference in ability against the really good pitchers. Um, like, um, you know, that, that perform better against them. Like Pablo Sandoval was that kind of guy. Yeah. So there is and and, um, uh, Vince Gennaro, who was the president of of Saber for a while, I think I had like looked into it. He presented this on a on an MLB Network show I was on with him at one point, um, which was that there's evidence that there are guys who are just um, like like Alex Rodriguez was the example. Like if you look at his career stats, if you put all of the pitchers he faced into buckets based on like ERA plus of how good they were. Um, a-Rod did a disproportionate amount of damage against bad pitchers. And so his point was like, maybe what we think to be bad postseason performance is that uh, A-Rod usually fattens up on lesser pitchers. Like, that's just the type of hitter he is. They're still valuable when you're when you're beating up on a bad pitcher. We've seen the Mets get shut out by guys we've never heard of all the time, right? Um, but that some players, David Ortiz was an example, Carlos Beltran was an example, do tend to uh, fare better. Uh, proportionally against the better pitchers. And so, you know, but I, I don't know that for vocal back or rough, there'd be a meaningful sample if for either. Yeah, that, that's something to look into over the, the course, and not just for those two, but really, a, you know, a bunch of different guys. I don't, I don't know. We don't know what Pete Alonso does against the, be you know, like if, if have you, we've seen him get big hits, but every, you know, that, that happens, right? So um, we don't know. We know he's at his best against pitchers from the SEC. That's what we know about Pete Alonso. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it, it would be maybe worth some of my time over the next uh, next month to investigate kind of how these guys have done against certain kinds of pitchers um, and to see if they are good enough to handle these superior pitching. I think that is, you know, your concern is that the lineup as a whole is not good enough to handle superior pitching. Um, we've seen that in, in bits and pieces this season. You know, they've done well against Alcantara. Uh, they struggled against Houston starting pitching. Um so, you know, it, but it's a good lineup, right? Like, why why would their lineup, a good lineup, be any worse against great pitching than any other good lineup? Right? Like, is it is there? Do you think that there's anything particular to anyone in the Mets lineup that says, oh, <clears throat> you know, this guy can't catch up with elite velocity or something like that? Well, it goes back to what we talked about earlier this week, which is that they need to string together base hits to score more than some other teams, more than Atlanta, for instance. Atlanta can yeah. can hit a couple home runs uh, and win a three to two game uh, in a way that the Mets often, you know, need to build that three run inning differently, uh, and that's harder to do against really good good pitchers. So uh, that would be the concern. That's what we've talked about the whole time uh, all season, <laughs> and uh, you know, sooner or later we don't have to talk about it. We just find out. 
If you've got further questions for the Metrospective, you can join us again next week for another live chat or send them along. We're on Twitter. Tim is at Tim Britton. I am at OG Ted Berg. Or you can always email asktedberg at gmail.com. Tim, we will be back early next week to discuss how the Mets have fared against this Marlins pitching staff, as well as whatever other dramas might arise among uh, former or still popular, ever popular comedians and uh and currently momentarily popular trumpet players adios peace <laughs>